Welcome all. We are here for another mini-sode on two key James Bond film composers. I'm your host, Sully, and with me is Thomas Pickup from Really 007. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, nice to nice to be invited on the show, Cam. Thank you. Totally. Long, long time coming. We were just like saying, hey, somewhere down the road, we got it. We got to do this. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. And there's been the 60th anniversary, which is sort of been so massive and so time consuming for us as a podcast that we can finally now have time to chat so that's great a thousand percent uh so yeah well we will be talking about john barry who scored 11 james bond movies uh throughout between 1963 and 1987 uh, as well as arranging the first you know theme for it and we will also be talking about David Arnold, who came in much later, often during Pierce Brosnan era and early Daniel Craig. So um, before we get started, uh, were, were you much like with famous uh, filmmakers, like directors, writers and producers, uh, were you kind of, I take it you were big on film composers as well, like all the John Williams, Hans Zimmers, Graham Ravels of the world? Yeah, absolutely. I think when you grow up, when you're young, you don't quite appreciate it because you you sort of watch the film. You watch the film and you're like, yeah, yeah. The score then alone you is slow, yeah. and then it's like, well, there's a difference. There's still some where it's like you might not want to listen yeah. to it, but it's a good score in its own right. And there's others where it's like, yeah, no, it's n nothing against it, but it's just better when you see it with the visual. <laughs> yeah, there are scores that work like that. I think particularly. You know, Hans Zimmer is someone you could say you can listen to his scores outside of the film and they're really, really engaging, they're really interesting. Other people's, you know, they're not that dead interesting, but they work really well when you're watching the film and both serve a purpose. And I think with James Bond, John Barry definitely comes into the form category where you can listen to any of those cues and love them. I, I listen to them at home. <laughs> I have them on all the time on my, you know, my iTunes and all that. And I just think they're amazing and they've stood the test of time. And I, I kind of, there's, there's one count which says we should go back to that sound and maybe try and emulate it. And I know David Arnold did a lot of that. But then there's also the, the school of thought, which says, no, no, we need to, we need to have it modernized and we can't just rely on trying to, put, to copy John Barry, really. So there's, that's another debate that's going on as well. Yeah, uh, I, I will confess when I first, you know, I saw all the movies, you know, out of order. I, for the longest time, thought it was kind of like a Jerry Goldsmith thing, like with Star Trek and Planet of the Apes. I just figured, oh, it's the same guy all along. And it's like, yeah, no, yeah. it's similar, but it's not the same. <laughs> yeah. And then John Williams as well, you know, because most of the films you watch as a kid are, you know, the Indiana Jones and E.T. and all this. And then right. you figure Star Wars and from each other. Yeah. <laughs> Superman, yeah. And you think, oh, right, he, he does, he's the only person that people must have heard of. But then... You're absolutely right, Jerry Goldsmith, and there's countless ones, aren't there? That, and if you and when you get into films and you know the directors, they're often associated with the directors, and then you kind of hear the the sort of partnership that those people have had as well, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Man. So, okay. John, yeah, no, no. Well, I mean, in terms of John Barry, though, like you say, he he did eleven Bond films. And these are the sort of the key Bond, uh, the Bond music, really. I know Monty Norman is officially credited with composing the tune, which it is the melody, it's his melody, but it's the arrangements of that which is the most 
probably possibly the most famous piece of film music ever created, you, you could argue, isn't it? And it's the most recognisable one of them. And that that has been the blueprint for the series. And what happened then, of course, that was for Doctor No, which Monty Norman scored and, and Barry was brought in to arrange it. From from Rush With Love onwards, he was scoring the whole thing. And from Goldfinger onwards, that's when he first wrote the song, the theme song. And, you know, Goldfinger in particular, it's just iconic, isn't it? And you can't Definitely. think... Of, yeah, you, it's, you can't separate that from the film. You know, if if someone says the words Goldfinger, you, you in your head, it's the Shirley Bassey singing it, isn't it? It's not... You don't think... You probably think of that before you think of the, the villain in the film. Right. So music is so important. And to have cues, they don't do it as much these days. So you'd have a cue for Odd Job when he does the hat, you know, that puts the hat and, and, and uses that as a weapon. There's a little triangle that's used for that. When Spectre is revealed in From Us With Love, when you've got Blofeld with a cat, there's another there's another theme for them. And it, it's this making a world, a cinematic world, through music that John Barry was so good at. And if you if you take, for instance, some of the, some of the pieces of music he'd done, one of the later ones, A View to a Kill, now that was a massive, I think it was number one in America, the song, you can use it works so well as a rock song, a pop song, but then when slowed down as a love theme, it's just amazing. And it's the same melody. And it, yeah, and it, people don't realize we just think yeah. whenever the music artist contributes, you know, they're still working with the giant symphony that the composer has arranged. Uh, so for as a brief recap before we get into it, um, yeah, he did all of Connery era, he did Under Majesty's Secret Service, and he briefly did The Man with the Golden Gun, Moonraker, Octopussy, View to a Kill, uh, you know, for Moore's era, and then Living Daylights, and uh, as well as the you know, 1967 Casino Royals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, he, his other works have included King Rat, The Chase by Arthur Penn, The Ipcrest File, which is one of those, uh, you know, Harry Palmer movies, uh, you know, with Michael Caine, and, uh, Zulu, uh, Drumbeat, uh, Dutchman, uh, the Adventurer TV series from the 70s, Orson Welles' Great Mysteries, 1977's The Deep, oh, uh, yeah. Game yeah. of Death, you know, the Bruce Lee film, Star Crash, you know, that awful Star Wars knockoff, um, Hanover Street, uh, Body Heat, uh, Francis, High Road to China, and The Cotton Club, and he got acclaim for... Uh, out of Africa and the Golden Child and Masquerade scores. So, yeah, that's just in a, a nutshell. He's also done Dances with Wolves, uh, Cry the Beloved Country, uh, My Life, Mercury Rising, and Enigma, as well as rejected scores for movies such as The Incredibles. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's done a bunch. You, but, I mean, you yeah, so much atmospheric. And as much as we can easily make fun of James Bond, I don't th find anything wrong or over dramatic with the scores, even in the transitions, which says a lot for, you know, older movies, you can often do that where the music is just kind of blaring a little too loud or repeats too much. But no, I mean, I, I, I never find any issues with those. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I think 
there there are scores that become too imposing and that they can distract. But when John Barry sort of it is there in the background humming along, but it's the kind of film that needs it needs big themes. You know, if you if you're doing a sort of an atmospheric stripped down thriller or something, you can't have loud music the whole time. You know, you need it's got yeah, to be tight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I do I do generally I mean the guy he he's from York, which isn't it's about an hour and a half from where I live in Manchester. And oh, I just wow. don't think he's yeah, I don't think he gets the credit. He was never knighted, amazingly, even though really? he won five Oscars and he's arguably one of the greatest musicians, never mind film composers that ever lived. Yeah, it's for just, those who don't know, he passed away yeah. at age 77 yeah. in 2011. But. Yeah. It's a shame he didn't do more Bond films. I know he with Living Daylights, that was the last one. That was his 25 years of Bond, and he sort of thought that's a nice point to, to sort of to end. But since then, he did loads more, and he won, I think he won Oscars for, what's it called, Dances with Wolves since then. And it, he, he certainly, the, his last few years, he did, I think he was very ill, so he did, unfortunately we didn't. We could have had another. I mean, look at John Williams. John Williams is nineteen; he's still composing. And so we've lost maybe twenty years of of peak John Barry that we didn't get, which is quite sad to think of as well. Wow, yeah, definitely eye-opening. Uh, all, all together, um, what's your personal favorite of his Bond scores? Well, yeah, it's a very difficult one to answer. I think. The, the the few I usually go, I think on a Manchester Secret Service is is probably is probably the best in terms of the variety. You, More trumpet. Yeah, I mean the th- the theme tune is the only one which is an instrumental, which must be one of the most thrilling pieces of action music I've ever heard. And then you've got we have all the time in the world, which is a, a beautiful love song. And then throughout the whole film, there's there's other there's there's actually another song from it which was rejected. And there's another song that's in the film, a Christmas song. <laughs> Do you oh, know? Wow. Yeah, and it's there's all. I went to Peace Glory in the summer, bizarrely, and when you're there, all you can think of is the same, the score, and it's just it, you can't again, you cannot disassociate from that. And because it was such a, it was a risky Bond film because it was the first one without Sean Connery. The audience was so used to him. There's this unknown guy, George Lazenby, playing Bond. John Barry said, I've got to get this right. The music's got to be absolutely amazing for the audience to buy him as the new Bond. And and really, the success of that is perfect. So that that's probably the best one. I mean, the, all of them are magnificent in their own way. I think Thunderball is a really amazing score because that had two massive themed songs with it. It had Mr. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang as well as Thunderball and by Tom Jones, which is brilliant. But it also mm-hmm. has the first, I mean, this it sounds weird. It's got the sound of underwater because a lot of that film is underwater. And the music for those scenes is the first time that kind of sound has ever been done. And it, it somehow just fits. And it, you, when you watch it now, it seems like, oh, that's the natural kind of music for an underwater scene. But back in the 60s, no, no, this is no, it's never been done before. You know, a film had never been had so much underwater scenes with that music. So it, there's so many pioneering things that he did. And to the the final one he did, Living Daylights, is, is particularly amazing because it's got two songs with the Pretenders and the title song with Aha. Nice. Yeah. It's so the amount of music the guy's writing, and to be it's quite a different it's a different art to write a song, you know. 
I know he didn't do the lyrics, but to to turn those melodies into pop songs, which are really popular, is another amazing talent and something that he he did throughout his career. Totally, uh, this is very engaging and very. <laughs> yeah, I'm a bit of a nerd, Cam. You'll you'll have noticed. Uh, that. It's all good. All 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 very geeky yeah. here. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, with David Arnold, um, that's gotta say um uh his filmography again you know his Pierce Brosnan era and first two Daniel Craig movies you might also know his scores for Danny Cannon's The Young Americans the Roland Emmerich blockbusters Stargate Independence Day and 98 Godzilla as well as Last of the Dogmen Life Less Ordinary Wing Commander 2000 Shaft Baby Boy Zoolander Woody Allen's Hollywood ending uh, enough, which once again is a Michael Apted movie. So he, yeah. he works basically as well as Amazing Grace and Four Brothers and Hot Fuzz. So it's pretty much he's worked with all kinds of people who are often, you know, UK comedian writers as well as, you know, crossing over into American films and John Singleton and Peter Hyam. So it's interesting just what a big mashup there you know he kind of like barry you kind of just mainly remember just the franchise he's done you know worked on but he with arnold he crosses way more even into tv working with uh composer uh michael price on the sherlock theme and main score as well as other short-lived uh primetime shows like little britain you see yeah. undercover and the visitor as well as more recently, uh, Good Omens, you know, that Neil Gaiman adaptation. So, yeah, D David Arnold is, is someone who is clearly a Bond fan. I think that's one of the reasons he got the job. And he did a, an album, a tribute album, Shaken and Stirred. Right. He did the uh, remix yeah. with propeller heads of 100 That's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think that's, I think the producers heard that and loved it, but also John Barry. Gave, he loved it and he said this guy's good I'd, I'd recommend him because we had in Goldeneye we had Eric Serra doing that one in between and whilst he's a great composer a lot of people think it was too too out there it didn't quite sound Bond enough so they wanted somebody who was doing the traditional Bond theme for T Tomorrow Never Dies was his first one and you're oh, right wow. he'd, he'd done really well you know before that and he'd done the big Roland Emmerich films Godzilla and Independence Day so, you know, and Stargate, which are all great scores. But to go into Bond, he was the perfect man in terms of he he did things very much in the John Barry way. He, he wrote the melodies and he wrote the, some of the songs as well. But he also added his own style. So there's a lot of, well, there's not enough, there's a lot of techno in it as well. And uh, <laughs> tomorrow, I've done, and it, okay, maybe it's aged a bit, but at the time it did sound really like a funky modern sound for James Bond and it worked really well. Now, I know a lot of Bond fans are disappointed that he's left, but that that was, I think he did six up till Quantum of Solace. But when it came to Skyfall, Sam Mendes wanted his own man, Thomas Newman, which in a normal film world is fine. But I, I think that the, the composer, John Barry was the composer. It didn't matter who was directing it. I'm sorry, you can't say, I don't want John Barry. <laughs> so re really, I think as as brilliant as Thomas Newman is, I don't think he quite got it as a James Bond composer compared to David Arnold. 
Um, yeah, I see a lot of people yeah. who really like that one, but I personally was kind of disappointed when listening to it on yeah. my own. And I, I get it. The whole emphasis was do an anti kind of James Bond score, but I was just like, well, then why even call it James Bond? I just... Yeah, it, and it it works well in the film, like I said before. It works very well. It's a bit Batman Beginsy, you know. It's a bit Hans Zimmer lights, but and and he he's not really an action composer. He's more much more melodic, and, and those bits are good. But it just doesn't, yeah. It, yeah, the smaller quite... quiet moments are very atmospheric. And yes, it's yeah, like, they are. Yeah. Well, that'd be great if it was again a psychological or primetime drama, but that's not. What yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I, I think he he is still involved, David Arnold. You know, we recently had in London a 60-year anniversary concert with some of the, the, the artists. So we had Shirley Bassey, uh, we had Lulu, who did The Man with the Golden Gun, loads of others who did the original themes, and other artists who were there for the ones, you know, who either died or couldn't do it. But David Arnold himself performed You Know My Name from Casino Royale. And, of course, Chris Cornell sadly died, didn't he? So he 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 curated the whole thing. And and so that shows that the Bond producers still love him, and he's still friends with them. And he right. and he said with you know my name because it's him and Chris Chris Cornell wrote it together. He just felt I don't want to hear anybody else sing this song, so I'll sing it. So he he actually sung it and played guitar on it. And he has he, do you know what he's got a good voice. <laughs> so I'd, I'd I'd recommend checking that out. I think it's on Amazon Prime in England certainly. But I hope it's in, on there in the US as well. It's a really good sh- concert of the Bond music, and David Arnold is is front, right, and center of it. I will be sure to check that out. Um, altogether, I mean, these guys are apples and oranges. It's tough to compare even just yeah. the two of them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I'm with you. It's hard to replicate that, and at the same time, I, I just don't think it gets any better once you know Arnold leaves, and you know. Barry's just so iconic in that he kind of just changed up how any kind of big movie score can kind of sound. I mean, again, you know, all the guys who come later might be better known, but, you know, don't think for a minute that, you know, it's a small world. There's plenty of others who've been around for years who have contributed, but it's like you say, it's like, it's that they, they're just so in the thick of it that, to just try and teach other people is like to do a good job. It just seemed like half the time they just kind of go with, well, what's in the, you know, top ranked uh, music currently. <laughs> okay, that's yeah, who we're going to yeah, use. Yeah. I, I think you're absolutely right. And the, the Bond music has stood the test of time. It, you, we've got to accept we're never going to get anyone as good as John Barry. I think we've got to accept that. And there are loads of amazing composers. You know, Hans Zimmer did the last one, No Time to Die. And he's, you know, he must be one of the greatest composers that's ever lived. But right. even he can't, he can't quite get that Bond world. And that that's partly because he's modernising it. He's doing new things. And again, that score is great to listen to in the car or whatever, but it also works for the film because it's not certainly not my favourite Bond film and I don't agree with a lot of the plot points in it. But for what it's trying to do, the music works perfectly with it. So there are, you know, I I wouldn't be averse to Hans staying on. I think he might be more like, well, I've done Bond now, you know, I've done Batman, I've done all these different things, done Superman. Right. <laughs> I, I don't know whether I want to do another one. And who we, we might be waiting a long time before the next Bond film as well. So who knows? But I, I do think they should not copy Barry, but 
as long as they've got that blueprint, as long as they use the bomb theme. The, the, the thing I'd say about the bomb theme is a lot of the recent films, they haven't really used it properly. It's been there, but it's just been there for the sake of it. The bomb theme should be used, in my opinion, when when Bond is doing something that only Bond can do. So, for instance, in Octopussy, when Bond is in a car <laughs> and the wheels are shot off, the, the tyres are shot off, he uses the car to go on a train track to chase a train. So the tra- <laughs> he's driving the train, the car on a train track to try and jump onto the train. Now, this is stuff only Bond would do. That's right. when you have... That's when John Barry goes, you know, da 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 that's when you use it for me, not not sort of necessarily just Bond walking around. Although you can, you know, there's been instances where John Barry in Diamonds Are Forever, Bond is spying on, I think it's Willard White's house, and he's Sean Connery. He's wearing a white shirt and a pink tie with his jacket over him because of the heat. He looks the coolest guy ever, and John Barry does an amazing mix of the Bond theme and the Diamonds Are Forever theme. In it on like a bass guitar, and it's the guy. The guy is so good, and he gets it. And it's it's that variety of the theme, using it in the correct way, that I think whoever, whichever composer takes over for the next one, needs to get right. Yeah, they got to find someone who's. Well, my grandmother always said this: a little peppy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, find that's someone who, right. Yeah, <laughs> just yeah. can really uh-huh. just reel it in, just spice yeah. it up a bit, and. I'm not saying they won't do that. I mean, I'm going to just let them breathe, you know, much the last thing I want is to encourage just instant responses and everything, you know, because, you know, Bond is on hiatus right now. It's just let yeah. it breathe, you know? <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's going to be, might be a couple of years before we even they start filming. And yeah, it's I'm not going to be for a while. It's not no, like no. Marvel or DC where everyone or Star yeah. Wars for that matter. Everyone wants an instant reaction. It's like, no, no, it let that it breathe. Yeah. It'll happen yeah. when it happens. Amazon owns it now. Just yeah. Them well they out. might chase them up a bit, you see. <laughs> but I'd like a Bond actor named next certainly early next year. I'd settle for that. That would be that'd lift the fans and I think we could get behind a new actor and really get excited for the next direction because it's gonna be another Another very different direction, I think, judging by the sounds of Barbara Broccoli and Michael G. Wilson, the producers. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't even be surprised if they hand it off to someone else and they just... Yeah, yeah well, they might do. Yeah. You know, the, they already had to deal with just so many different, you know, larger-than-life personas playing uh, the title role and then yeah. having to, again, you know... Uh, they had they were trying to kind of emulate a lot of various other personas and at the same time they were always in the dials like no 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 we didn't we're not trying to make it like this <laughs> well, yeah yeah you clearly are <laughs> but you've only been doing it you know throughout the franchise run you know when moonraker came out that was a star wars you know nod i mean when yes that's right these yeah. recent ones came out they had born identity and taken locations and it's just like yeah who are you kidding it's it's okay yeah yeah <laughs> They've, they've, they have emulated them. You're absolutely right. Since then, since the 70s, you know, you had Live and Let Die, which is black exploitation. Man with the Golden Gun had loads of kung fu in it because that was in the mid 70s. That was really popular. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's, it's, it's happened the whole time. And you're absolutely right. The Bourne films, you could even say Batman with The Dark Knight and Batman Begins. We had a Bond Begins with Casino Royale. And that was, you know, it was only a year after. So there's there's lots of trends that, 
that Bond's been doing for years. It's not like, oh, all of a sudden they're copying. Bond's always been with the times and, and trying to be, be modern whilst also trying to give you those classic elements that every Bond film should have. Yeah, totally. I And, you know, whoever does it, you know, good on you. You know, I'm sure you'll make your yeah. money. I All I can say is, you know, just do what you want to do with it instead of trying to get caught up in just, you know, office politics. We made it like yeah. this or that. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Creativity, whoever's allowed to write and direct it as well and let them have their vision, I think, for the future. Totally. Okay, well, uh, so really 007 uh, podcast is still going on, let's check. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. We've, we started in, I think, August 2020 during lockdown in, in the UK. It was a bit of a hobby, but it's turned into sort of <laughs> most of my life is now spent uh, doing, <laughs> doing these episodes. Nice. Um, so, it's, yeah, it's, it's just been really good as well to get to know the Bond community, which I didn't know existed, I'll be honest. I, I didn't really go on social media for James Bond stuff until I started this. And it's so amazing to see how many, like I say, Bond geeks there are who know the films inside out and they, they love chatting about it. And they're all, you know, in the main, really nice people. We like the odd debates. We don't always agree on everything, but that's part of what the show is about. We'll, we'll have people on who we disagree with and we'll have a great debate and we'll have a great Oh, yeah. Have I have... Yeah, I'm I sure you a, do the same, you know, and it's, it's... I had a huge James Bond actors, like, tribute, and, uh, you know, you got to let everyone be who they want to be, but, like, I had, like, the most non, like, Pierce Brosnan and Roger Moore friends on, so, oh, like, no. and no. so then I just got, I was like, okay, guys, let's let's move on. Yeah. I'm not going to agree. Tribute, it should be positive, shouldn't it, I think? <laughs> well, and that's just it. It'll be fun when we do a ranking of the James Bond franchise just for now. And oh, right. Oh, that will be fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think as much as popular as it is, it is kind of more annoying at times than Star Wars fandom because you, you just practically cannot agree. Like they're, they're just so the all the movies are so different and everyone's made up their mind long yeah. ago on yeah. what is their essential, you know, go to movie to where sometimes it's like, hey, you know, it's good. It's just not my movie. I'm, I've only seen it a few times. I don't want to see it again. <laughs> Yeah, there are, and there's, you're absolutely right. When you've got, what, 25 films, you're going to have <laughs> so many different styles and tastes and some Bond films that weren't very well received. I mean, Honor Majesty's wasn't well as well received at the time. And then over the, the years, it's sort of been seen as a silly one or the, the one with that guy who I don't know who was Bond. And But then in the last 10 years or so, it's been completely reassessed and it's now regarded as one of the best ones of the lot. And they even, even Roger Ebert and the Guardian have liked, and Empire Magazine have liked a lot of the ones that often get put on the shitter list. (laughs) There are, there are like Quantum. Yeah, Quantum is, I I couldn't stand it the first time I saw it, but I I really like it now. So it is, it is an odd one with Bond films. Yeah. I mean, even the ones. I see people trying to praise the show Skyfall, and I'm like, no, I think Casino Royal is as deep as it gets. I feel like Skyfall is a whole totally different movie. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. The, I mean, those are probably the two most popular Daniel Craig films. Um, I even see fans of Moonraker, and I can't... Yeah, Moonraker's great, because it knows <laughs> what it is. You know, it knows it's a bit silly. It is. I, I It's just a very overlong one for me, but I do like... Oh, do you think so? <laughs> I, I do like some of the other ones that 
you know, more Zen. Yeah. And it's just so funny. I, uh, when I even watched it with uh, parents and uncles, they got their favorite. And it, half the time when someone says who their favorite persona in the role is, you wonder is like, well, it's how many of these have you seen? Well, of course you think that's, yeah. <laughs> that's one. Yeah. And usually it's the one you brought, you were brought up with, you know, when you were a child or whatever, that's usually your favorite, isn't it? Totally. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. Well, so, uh, uh, what, what, what will you be covering next on the, on your bond theme podcast where you just be well, covering a we, score we, from one of the exact just, movies? Yeah. Well, we, we, fin- we finished a long series in the UK from, I think it was April until October. They showed one bond film a week, every week in all the cinemas and they did. Oh, them nice. in so we've just been doing a series of our experiences, watching them for, you know, cause most of these films we haven't seen at the cinema. We've only seen the the Pierce Brosnan ones really before, and the Daniel Craig ones. So that's been amazing. After in the future, we'll be going back to our reviews. I think Thunderball will hopefully be our next review, but it might be might be the new year because those take hours and hours and hours. Um, <laughs> so yeah, there'll be there'll be regular episodes. There'll be one coming out in the next uh, in the next week or so about some of the songs. I think that one's on all time high from Octopussy and Goldfinger the song. So. That'll probably be one of the next ones we'll, you'll be able to hear. Very nice. Okay, well, uh, obviously you're staying busy, uh, but uh, but be safe out there. I know, uh, uh, much like uh, in the fictional ro- real world, there are some crazy real-life villains out there that Bond yeah. probably have to put an end to. So. <laughs> you're absolutely right, Cam. <laughs> uh, I, I take it, I, I always bring this out with other uh, UK guests. Um, have you seen that tv show uh uh line of duty yeah oh have, have you heard of that in america yeah we, we we did a special on it and it was very awesome but we were just guffawing how there was one viral video when the show wrapped that did a mashup that made it look like the interrogators were uh interrogating boris johnson <laughs> oh yes yes i think i might have seen that one yeah brilliant. <laughs> this is like that's a wild mashup and yeah some talented people out there, aren't they, making these videos? <laughs> oh, totally. And uh, we, we've talked about the show Spooks, which is kind of yeah. a more realistic, you know, MI5 yeah. is basically the feds versus, you know, MI6, which is basically the CIA equivalent. And yeah, it's yeah. Uh, been interesting how they've been kind of going their own route, trying to do kind of, I mean, even 24 came to London one season. Yeah, you know, so it's just all the spy yeah, shows yeah. kind of tip their hat to Bond in a way. <laughs> yeah, they do. And, you know, but... Bond was the first sort of spy thriller that, and you know, they, they were not necessarily family films, but they were all like PG growing up. So the family could watch them all. And I think that's been important. That you, I think with the, with the Daniel Craig's part of the problem is they're not really ones you show your kids. And it's been, it was great to grow up with the Roger Moore and the Sean Connery where everyone could watch them and everybody wanted to be Bond. You know, yeah. Even my uncle, who likes all kinds of fun escapism, was like, "Yeah, man, they got really depressing these last yeah, three yeah, months." Yeah. It's and, okay for a period, but I think if we could go back to the more aspirational, fun Bond films, that that's what I'd want anyway, personally. Oh, totally. I just, I mean, that's kind of what I'm hoping with this upcoming Indiana Jones too. I mean, just like just have a fun kind of just spectacle and then a proper send off. Don't try and worry about okay and now we got to set it up for five more sequels it's like no, no. absolutely yeah yeah standalone standalone let it, yeah standalone let it in organically as opposed to and then we got a gotcha moment in the so the last yeah, 20 minutes yeah. 
don't have anything to do with the first 40 minutes. <laughs> yeah, like a cameo or some, yeah. I've heard about the Black Adam one, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it should be about the film and the plot, not setting other things. Or... <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, this was a delight, and I will let you know when this episode premieres. <laughs> oh, thanks, Cam. It's been great chatting to you, and I hope we can chat again soon. Absolutely. Uh, let me know other stuff you're thinking of, any other filmmakers, composers, or film yeah. shows, music bands. I'll be here. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay. Nice to meet you, Cam. And, uh, Likewise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, all right. We'll return after these messages. Do you ever find yourself thinking about who would win in a fight between Goku and Superman? Hi, I'm James Gavsey, and on the Who Would Win show, me and my co-host Ray ignore anything important happening in the outside world and debate fictional battles between characters from comics, movies, and video games. We got a new show every week, and almost always am I the winner. Yeah, not true, Ray. In the past, we've discussed such matches as Captain America versus Darth Vader, Solid Snake versus the Iron Giant, classic matchups like Robocop versus Terminator, and even the Muppets versus Sesame Street. That one was crazy. So if you're a fan of geek culture and love a spirited debate, check out the Who Would Win Show wherever you get your podcasts or check us out at whowouldwinshow.com. We let things pile up in the DVR. We add them to our queues. We wait for the DVDs and Blu-rays. We time shift. The Time Shifters podcast. Sci-fi, horror, fantasy, superheroes, comedy, action, film, television, maybe some not-so-current events. Find us on iTunes or at timeshifterspodcast.com. Cool thing about Blind Knowledge is we are in multiple countries. We are worldwide all across the globe. We are in the U.S. We are in the U.K. We are in Canada, Germany, India, Japan. We're in Australia, y'all. Blindknowledge.com. Now back to the feature presentation. Dragon Ball Z, One Piece, Naruto, all things that we love, all manga that were originally published in the legendary magazine Weekly Shonen Jump. But not every series can run for 300 chapters and have a hit anime. This is David. This is Jordan. We're the hosts of Shonen Flop. Each episode, we look at manga that ran and jumped that didn't quite make it. We discuss what it did wrong, what it did right, how the series could have turned itself around, and ultimately, was it a flop or not? Run all your favorite podcast apps, and you can find us at shonenflop.com. Keep on flopping, floppers. Follow us on the web on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The podcast is available on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Anchor, Apple, and anywhere else podcasts are available. Feel free to review our show and leave comments on any of those sites. Thanks a million for listening. It's a jack-to-